Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your job as a prop master is to make the life of your team easier and not the other way around. This is BIPOC Credits, a podcast highlighting BIPOC crew members working in the BC film industry. Listen in to stories from behind the scenes of your favorite films and TV shows. Together, let's celebrate the progress we've seen so far in becoming a more diverse film industry. Plus, learn how you can be a part of the BC film industry. Here's your host, Andy Wong. Hi, everyone, and welcome to BIPOC Credit. Today, we will be discussing the role of the prop master with my good friend, Mick Narcisa. Mick has worked on movies such as A Christmas Tree Grows in Colorado, Cats and Dogs 3, the TV series, Two Sentence Horror Stories, as well as many Christmas movies with the local production company, Front Street Productions. The prop master is the head of the props department in charge of anything an actor touches. Mick explains the role in a lot more detail, describing what a day in the life of a prop master on set might look like. He also talks about some of the difficulties of the job and gives tips on being a good leader and working collaboratively as a team with production. He also has strong opinions on the changes he'd like to see in the union to help alleviate some of the systemic issues in the film industry, like the long hours and the push for diversity hiring. It was inspiring talking to him about the possibilities for our industry and what it would take to get there. Anyone interested in the art department should check out this episode because Mick also goes into detail of what he looks for when hiring new workers. He's a strong believer in relieving the barrier of entry to the BIPOC community. So here is my conversation with Mick Narcisa. Thank you so much for joining us, Mick. You've worked in props and uh, um, you've been a prop master and also you've uh, production designed a few projects. What's your favorite thing that you've created in props so far? Oh, that's fun. Um, we did a TV series last year called Two Sentence Horror Stories. And I didn't prop master that one, but I was a builder for that one mostly. Um, and for that show... My first weekend, they had me build some alien plants. You know, like, hey, okay, we're going to picture in a week. Uh, do you want to just make some plants? I'm like, sure. How many? Well, we need like 13. <laughs> what is an alien plant? A plant that's not from this world. It was one of those ideas that maybe it was a monster plant. So the production designer just gave us a sketch of some ideas they had in mind mm, it okay. just needed to spit stuff out and it had three stages where it kind of grew bigger and bigger and right 
we just had to find a way to do that with not a lot of money and not a lot of resources. So it was fun. It was a lot of going to fake flower shops and buying random things and then seeing how they all come together to look sort of like a real plant, but also not a real plant at the same time. <laughs> and did it have to like spit things out? And were you able to do that? The spitting things special effects did. There was an issue on the day, which was funny because we ended up, I think, trying to troubleshoot it too. But yeah, we ended up having to find a way to kind of rig a tube through it, a clear tube that would spit things out, which was... Oh, okay. And uh, I guess for these like lower budget shows, um, you often have to, uh, I guess, jump into other departments as well. Is that right? In order to uh, help them out. Uh, what is that collaboration like between you and like uh, special effects, for example? It always depends on the show and it always depends on the crew you work with. Uh, I find props of all departments is the one that tends to work with a lot of different departments because props is one of those that it really is almost it could be anything <laughs> so sometimes we'll work with set deck or sometimes we'll work with makeup or costumes or special effects or stunts we really have to have a pretty good idea of how all, all uh, departments work in that end but when it comes to the collaboration side for me it always I like to always begin with a conversation. It's just, let's talk about it. Let's see where we work out and how we work things out. Because I find sometimes that we just assume things from each other. And then all of a sudden there's miscommunications that happen. And, you know, I come from before film, I was in the corporate world. So we had different departments there too. And, you know, just having to experience how miscommunication works that way. It's the same as, in the film industry, except instead of maybe three or four departments, we have like 12. So always trying to start with a conversation I find is just always helpful. You know, just ask the questions, not be aware, ashamed or worried about all that. I'd, I think I usually even tell some of my team members, it's better to be seen as an idiot for asking a question than to be seen as an idiot for not asking the question. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, can you talk about what uh, what is props and like what's not props? I know there's a lot of confusion often on on that. Sure. Uh, I think in the most basic way from what I've learned is props is anything anyone holds on camera. <laughs> like anyone, anything anyone interacts with in general, yeah, right? Yeah, pretty much. And obviously, like you'll have <laughs> some People will be like, well, technically, if you're walking on the floor, does that mean it's props? It's like, okay, well, sure, <laughs> yeah, sure, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean by always having a conversation, too, because yeah, I think there's always so many gray areas of whether it's a prop or not a prop. Um, the one example that comes across really quick often is watches and rings and accessories, because... Hmm. Sometimes it could be a wardrobe thing, but in some shows, I'll take care of watches and wedding rings while wardrobe will take care of accessories or um, what do you call it? Aesthetic rings, for example. So mm. it's not a wedding band. It's a wardrobe thing. If it's a wedding band, it's a prop thing. 
or consumption. That's very specific. Yeah, right. And it's yeah. all, that's why it's always a conversation. I have to always, I'll email the costume designer all right away, be like, right. hey, which one do you want to cover? And I think a big part of it is because when it comes to a look of a certain character, then that's a wardrobe thing. When it comes to a functional thing, then it becomes a prop thing, right? Mm. Wedding is just a functional thing to signify you're married or not. There's nothing, not necessarily fashionable, quote unquote, about it. Not always, you know. It's debatable, very debatable. Like watches you interact with because you look at the time. Right. But it could also be fashionable. So. Yeah. And if it's fashionable, it's got to be a costume thing. Okay. Yeah. But I usually just, it's just a conversation. Like I just ask them, be like, hey, do you want to cover this or not? And and almost just asking them, is this does this look work? Does this work look not work? Just making sure you uh, get the vibe, I guess, from them too and seeing if if this is how they work and whatnot because you know we always work with a different crew almost every show so for sure yeah and every crew works differently obviously can you walk through as a prop master what you do and, and what to expect basically from like prep to shoot sure yeah when it comes to prop mastering i learned from some really really awesome people and the main thing they always taught me was your job as a prop master is to make the life of your team easier and not the other way around. You don't bring in a team to make your life easier. You bring in a team and then make their life easier after too. So that's kind of the philosophy I've always approached with prop master. It kind of lines with just the way I've seen leadership as well. Like anytime I've been put in a leadership position, it's the same similar idea of that you lead to serve and not lead to lead. I love that. That's yeah. such a great philosophy. Yeah, so I really try hard to do that. One way to compare it to is with directors. Like I always tell them, there's directors and they're dictators. So uh, you want to be yeah. a director, not a dictator. So that's a similar way to kind of yeah. do that analogy. But day to day from prep to shoot. Uh, on prep, it's usually a lot of breaking down the film. So depending on what stage of prep we are, if I'm just starting off and it's just reading the script, then breaking it down and figuring out what props we need because any any script will always have so many props that are in the script and also almost just as many props that are not written in the script too and so it's about looking through that and how do you find those props that aren't written in the script i guess like a conversation with the director um like as soon as you jump on board yeah usually it's we tend to break the whole thing down and have some questions and then we mm. have a meeting with the director or the production designer to talk about these elements. The non-scripted stuff usually tend to be like there's a baseball game happening is what the script will say but that also then I'll have to ask the AD how many backgrounds will there be and then you ask the camera department or the director what we're actually going to see. If we're going to see the people in the stands then we have to think about all the different props that people in the stands will have because those won't be scripted, but right, like those inflatable bam bam things. Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> think of that. Think of popcorn. You think of drinks. You think of cameras. You know, even purses or backpacks because people may be moving up and down. You know, like all of these things are just things we have to think about too. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of the prep side of things usually. Uh, once the breakdowns are done, the day to day is mostly just 
working with the team to find all these elements and mm. making sure they're ready. Yeah. And getting all those ready. So I think in prep, it's all about working towards getting ready to shoot. Meanwhile, on shoot days, my days are much different. Uh, the way we do it with our teams, we're usually a three-person teams in these lower uh, budget kind of hallmarks or lifetime shows. So as a prop master, my job is to think about the week. And then our truck supervisor's job will be to think about the day. And then our onset will think about the current scene. So that way we're always planning ahead and each of us kind of have sort of a responsibility about what we should be preparing for. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's, it's like similar to us, um, how I like to see like ADing. It's like the second AD is in charge of the week. Uh, uh, the trailer AD is in charge of um, like kind of like the back end of the day. Yeah. And then uh, the TAD is basically in charge of onset, whereas the first oversees the whole pyramid. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We, we don't have the fourth person to see the whole pyramid, so we have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that'd be your production designer. What's your, what's your like, uh, relationship with your production designer in that sense? It has to be very good. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, in all seriousness, the production designers I like working with are the ones that really just let us go about our thing and they just oversee things. So mm -hmm. they, it's, it's about establishing that trust between the team and then for them to just check in and see if we're in the right direction. So I tend to like bugging the production designer quite a bit, just being like, hey, are we in the right direction? Is this the right space we're in? Uh, mm. And working with designers who are of that philosophy. I've never actually had to work with a production designer who's very micromanagey. And I almost feel like if I do, I won't last long with them because it's just not something that works well with me. <laughs> It's a trust thing to me. Like when someone's micromanaging me, that means they don't have a sense of trust in their team. And um, I just don't like that feeling. It's the same thing with my team. I don't look over every little thing they do. I just say, hey, I don't care what you're doing as long as we get the job done. Like I remember I had a show once where Onset was reading a book and they got in trouble for that. And I'm like, did they get the job done? Did the props come in time? Yeah. So why are we? Being an why are we on her for reading a book? Yeah, like what's the <laughs> issue? Doing your job. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I guess for some people they're like, well, it's you just have to look busy. I'm like, sure, mm. but they did their job, so yeah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, and also you're on set for so long, it's crazy to expect, you know, to be us to be like on for the whole 13, 14 hours, especially when like nothing, nothing's required of us. Yeah. A hundred percent. I had a show once where my job was just to <laughs> provide the stand-in animals because the whole movie was uh, animals. <laughs> Your whole job was to provide the, the animals, the stand-in animals, the little stuffies. So my job was to bring in the stand-in for camera to set up and then take the stand-in out. And then that's it. <laughs> I have days where literally that's all I did because there weren't a single prop on set. And I can't be expected to look busy when <laughs> that's my only job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to do? You know, pet the stuffed animal? Yeah. And I remember my prop master back then saw me taking a nap. And it was like, yeah. just laughing at me for it. Like, 
it's eight hours of me doing nothing. I don't know what you wanted yeah. me to do. Yeah, she was. They were very. It, I'm not saying I got in trouble. Like she was just laughing yeah. at me for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, going back to the shoot days, that's really it. Um, that's the overall look. You know, I look over the whole week. Our truck guy makes sure we're ready for the day and the day after, and then the onset is um, focused on this current scene because that way it just really helps the onset. Again, going back to making everybody's life easier in that sense, right? Like I can't imagine being on set worrying about a scene and having to think about the rest of the day just mm -hmm. why why put that responsibility to them when we have a truck person who can cover for that so with that sense i usually not usually the goal for me is always to open set for the team be there in the morning make sure we're okay for the first blocking and everyone's okay for the first part of the day and then i look towards preparing the rest of the day so that way I'm there on set in case any fires happen at the beginning of the day. And then I'm, my second half of the day is usually preparing the next day or the next, the following week. If you realize that you're missing anything, you would usually be the one that steps out to uh, go and pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's some teams that get their on set people to go on runs, but for me, it's just the two team members should always stay on set because yeah. it's just makes their lives a lot easier and if they need to do a run then i'll do it there's definitely days where i'm on the way back home from Van to vancouver already and there's a 911 in langley and i just turn around and yeah. go back especially for these like smaller shows um production usually has like budget cuts and everything how do you uh fight for the budget that you know you need oh, it's about negotiating and figuring out a workable solution. For us in the prop side of things, what I've found is providing options is very helpful. So mm. it makes the directors or producers feel like we're at least trying to get to our solu workable solution. So if there's something they like specifically, I'll be like, okay, we'll try to get that. But in the meantime, we have these three things that uh, are pretty close as well, rather than just coming back with one solution. So that's the one thing that I was uh, trained by my old prop masters too is just always provide options if they don't like the one pen then come back with three different pens or come back with two pens and a straw you know right uh, just give something <laughs> yeah because <laughs> sometimes more often than not they're just looking for something or just a general idea you know mm -hmm. uh, if you can't provide them something specifically and usually it's just being able to communicate that we're we're working on it or we're finding something like we did a show once where they wanted this $60,000 uh, wheelchair. We were trying to find it and <laughs> trying to find a $60,000 wheelchair to rent is almost close to impossible because they're not going to, the company themselves don't really set it out for rent. Um, so we found mm -hmm. a few options and we set the bar for that for them. Be like, Hey, this is what we can realistically get. Uh, luckily enough, we were able to find a contact, from a direct supplier and they ended up giving us that wheelchair to borrow for free and that was awesome but you know whoa crazy yeah setting that kind of standard of just being flexible and having these different options out there because um, mm -hmm. i think the moment you start saying no to things is when things get that's how you can create conflict but if you're continuously trying to create a world where we're just trying to make it work because film is always about trying to make it work and it's more mm -hmm. of a mindset to yeah. train yourself into because the moment you shut a door without opening another one then all of a sudden that's how you could create conflict with somebody because then whether right. 
you think you're doing your best, but they might not think that because you just like flat out say no, and maybe in their mind they might think you just don't want to try hard enough. So it's just like even sometimes when I know for sure we don't have that option, I'll just be like, let me go check. <laughs> it's like yeah. the, the customer service thing, right? Like just yeah, make them right. feel the like you're trying. Uh, and it's the same thing here it's with directors and producers. Uh, I just make them feel like they're trying. Right. Uh, that we're trying to it. And like obviously I do actually check. Like <laughs> yeah, of course. Going to the loo or grabbing a coffee, although I might get a coffee before I try, but <laughs> sure. Yeah. Do you um usually have to put any money up front? Uh like when you're paying for these props, when you're getting these props, do you use your own credit card or does like the production usually provide you with a credit card of sorts? In like the bigger union stuff they have their own credit cards and you're not actually allowed to use your own credit cards for that um, mm -hmm. and but in the smaller ones they just they allow you and they just let you use your own credit cards you could get a petty cash advance mm. uh, to do the spending i do it sometimes for bigger budget stuff but for smaller budget stuff like i could usually float it in my credit card anyway and mm. i i mean nowadays i work with the companies i've worked with or people i've worked with in the past so i trust that they will pay me back yeah right usually the only time i ask for advances is if it's a company i'm not familiar with or a group that i'm not really sure if they have the money to pay me back on time or if it's just much bigger than my card could handle um can you talk more about like petty cash advances like is it do you ever get rejected when you're like asking for these no not really like they, we usually have we're, all, we're usually given a budget Mm. Uh, before we start a show because oh, okay. that's a big part of like the art department i think in general is we need to know a budget and it's not because it's not really more about the money but about scale how did you first get into film did you know anything about it when you got in <laughs> nope <laughs> i did not um, i have no background in film before i got into film i was Actually, no, I, that's sort of a lie. I think in university, I wanted to get a theater degree, but my mom told me to get a real degree. So I ended up getting a philosophy degree instead. <laughs> Deep down inside, I guess I always wanted to be somewhat creative. Mm. But I ended up taking a different course. You know, I took a philosophy degree because I took a philosophy class during that time and I couldn't figure out what the heck I wanted to do. And then the philosophy professor told me about how it's if you don't know what you want to do, just get a philosophy degree because it's it'll teach you how to think well, organize your thoughts well. It'll just it's very beneficial in that sense. And like, mm -hmm. and he sold me this whole thing. Like, if you want to, it gives you many options in the future. Like, most philosophy degrees score high in LSATs and MCATs and um, next level education stuff, but they're also successful in almost any other industry. So. It gave me that flexibility, and that's why I took the philosophy degree. Mm. Um, and after I graduated from that, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to shit on companies. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. But I went to school in UBC and yeah. um, back then <laughs> my counselor told me, I was like, hey, what can I get with a philosophy degree? And they're like, oh, you could be a garbage collector or a bank teller were my two career choices apparently for philosophy, for philosophy. degree. According yeah, because you would be so philosophical as a bank teller. <laughs> yeah and i was like maybe i'll write a book called the philosophy of garbage i guess i don't know where they wanted from uh, but also at that time i actually wanted to be a marine biologist so mm. i was actually about to study and get a double major in marine biology and philosophy and then i also found out that ubc couldn't figure out who makes money off dual majors whether it's the art department or the science department so they canceled that double major program because uh, of money. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that's changed. I wonder if you can do double majors at UBC now. Oh, I sure hope so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Ten years to figure out who's going to make money off, <laughs> off double majors. student I mean. is a very <laughs> terrible look on them. Yeah. But yeah, so that's my background. And then I ended up going to BCIT for marketing instead. And then I worked in advertising for two years and then worked in the startup industry as project manager for four and then it was i was working for a company who's like uh, some big wig vancouver guy his wife had like a pet project so she started a startup which we worked in and i was a project manager for that or coordinator for that and there were two of us who were project coordinators me and this other guy who was uh from kenya and the two of us got along really well we really kind of hit it off as friends and we essentially talked our way out of quitting our jobs because we're like, this is so dumb. We're just sitting in meetings constantly. It wasn't well managed as a company. And all we want to do is just enjoy life anyway. So why are we sitting in this boring office? Like, the money's good, but that's it. And it's not worth it. So we both quit. And I had no idea what to do. But then a friend of mine got me into a film set for... Um, Alien, I think the movie was called Alien Or. Uh, right. Because it was the 40th anniversary of Alien that year, and they commissioned like a bunch of short films yeah. to make for that. So my they put me on that. I was with a bunch <laughs> of very, very experienced um, people. Yeah, people, and yeah. And here I am with no idea what the heck this is. But from there, it's just, I kind of enjoyed it. I would just yeah. love that I didn't have to be in an office for mm -hmm. eight hours a day. I didn't even care that it was long hours. Yeah. Um, at least it was fun. Like it was new every single day. Yeah. Um, especially that project. Uh, you know, you get to work on alien, like a yeah. alien series. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> it's just funny. It's like, that was my first. <laughs> and then it was all downhill from there. <laughs> I mean, for now, for now, you've you've had some pretty good experiences, yeah. Oh yeah, totally. I was hundred percent joking. It's been great. <laughs> um, yeah, but I was lucky enough to have had a career before that, so 
because sure. I was told when I started off that you'd have to volunteer and you know I think that's kind of how to get into the film industry is you kind of put your time and volunteer with yeah and make connections which is you know it's really that networking and making those meeting those people that'll eventually get you a job totally and that there's a lot of opinions about that area because it's borderline exploitative mm -hmm. in, in that sense um yeah and we could definitely anyone can probably spend hours talking about that side of film yeah um, for sure probably won't yeah. talk about that for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> that can get pretty deep but yeah uh, but that's what i did for two years i yeah. volunteered i just said hey yeah. i'll jump in i'll grip i'll pa i'll do i just almost tried every department at that time until um i think it was a year in where someone referred me to a lifetime show oh okay. and they pretty much told me hey can you just show up at 4 a.m. in this a random warehouse, find this truck, find this guy, and that's it. And I'm like, cool. I grew up in the Philippines where you tell me to do something like that, I know I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so but I, you did it anyways. because I did it, yeah. I may or may not have had my hand on an X-Acto knife the whole time, but... <laughs> i yeah. did it yeah well luckily uh that's not necessary most of the time <laughs> most of the time it's most just like time, super huh? sketch like i remember telling my mom about it she's like and you went i'm like yeah mom i did you're an idiot i'm like i know <laughs> it goes against yeah. every grain i was taught growing up in the philippines <laughs> uh yeah this industry is strange hey like we just yeah. get hired at the most random places <laughs> my brother my brother got his big break just like filming on the street he like he's a videographer now but he was like doing some like skate video on the street and some guy like pulls up in the car is like yo i like how you shoot here's my car to call it and he like drives <laughs> off <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then they've been like partners ever since that's it's, amazing i know right <laughs> <laughs> man like the, yeah this industry can get so sketchy but it's totally what makes it so fun yeah but that's what i mean by like the whole like it's borderline exploitative but there is the good side of it and it's learning how to figure that out i wish there's a way to like you know teach people who are starting their careers to tell the difference between an exploitative project and one that will actually be enriching right um, for you i mean do you have any like i guess loose tips on what to look for um i think the main thing from my experience if they're saying that if they're selling you this project as if this is going to benefit you or like they say something like you should mm. be lucky to be part of this project that's the biggest red flag on earth Mm -hmm. I've had one before where I designed a short film and they're like, you should be lucky in this project because you're just a cheap Hallmark worker. I'm like, but <laughs> you gave me $200 to do this shoot yeah. <laughs> and I'm the cheap Hallmark worker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the hours are the same. Yeah. I'm doing this voluntarily and you're saying I should be happy. You know, like yeah. I think that's definitely the biggest red flag from my end is when people are thinking that, you should feel lucky instead of they feeling lucky to have you. Like when I produce or direct stuff, it's always like, I don't even think I deserve having these people in my team. And I find every way to try to keep them, especially if they're coming in voluntarily. So 
there's a lot of volunteer work out there and not all of them are bad in that way. I think a friend of mine told it to be best, like when it comes to this industry, especially you have to tell the difference between the projects that enrich your wallet and the ones that enrich your soul and mm -hmm. making sure that you pick the right ones when you're enriching your soul is very important. Yeah. Yeah, because that's that's the most vulnerable you can be is when you're picking those projects. Totally, like the wallet is easy to know whether or not you want to take it, but it's the oh yeah, yeah. You could be sixteen hours in the middle of the mud, but you're like, but I'm making about eight hundred dollars, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but you can like... also do the same thing and you know feel like you're working for the greatest director, and that would also totally. be fine. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I just think it's not worth it, is always what I like to tell people. Like, don't make the deal with the devil. It's just not worth it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It might feel like it is, but I, to me, it's not. It really isn't. So um, I take it you do a lot of these like like smaller projects, like indie, indie projects and, and whatnot. Um, do, you, do you think like Vancouver can build its own type of film industry um through these filmmakers through these content creators i'd like to hope so um i think it, it we need a lot more support for the indie community out here and also just being able to develop a proper kind of um a thriving indie community i think we're lacking in the support on that end but i think there's potential out there and I think, especially when it comes to representation, a lot of a lot of people of color are quote unquote stuck in this indie world and having to penetrate bigger shows to actually turn their film careers into right. something that makes money is hard. Like that has been my experience. I remember like the first few shows I started off here, I was the the only Asian guy on set. But yeah. then I jump into a volunteer passion project and all of a sudden there's so many people of color and i'm like where are all of you guys in the bigger <laughs> shows you know that's so fair yeah that's that's such a good point i mean that's kind of why i wanted to create this podcast begin with just so you know we can show more show like producers like there are more of us out here that that's been doing it for a while that yeah yeah and there's a lot of talent out there and i think you know obviously the indie passion project stuff is so different from the the big money or the the job side of things but a lot of the people who are in the indie world do want to have careers as well or want to also have jobs working in the film industry and the barriers of entry are so diverse in that sense you know i've known of some people who don't want to uh, join the union because they feel discriminated against and the union doesn't want to do anything about it because to them they don't think it's a problem um, do you do you feel like now things are changing a bit with with the new push for diversity in Hollywood? I think so. I think there's some change. Like, mm -hmm. um, a lot of the change, really, in my opinion, and my opinion is very very weighted. <laughs> is like, I I just fundamentally the way we run unions is just not working, and it's a to me, I feel like we have to really rethink a lot of it. Are you comfortable like expanding on what those things might be? Sure. Uh, and, yeah. and how you think this that the unions can change in order to make it a, a better work environment? The main thing for me is like 
I don't agree with the idea that if you want people to work 16 to 20 hours, we just pay them more. Because for me, it's like, we just don't. <laughs> yeah. That's just it. We just There's shouldn't no... be working 16 to 20 hours, yeah. period. Yeah, that's it. absolutely. Hard line, stop there. Like the yeah. union solution to quote unquote abusing or overworking people is give them more money. And to me, that's just, yeah, I get, I get it. It's motivating. It drives people to stay if you're paying them more. But to me, it's just, you don't. And mm -hmm. we should be apologizing at 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's exactly it. Like you should be apologizing if you go past the 12, not expecting people to be working that. Yeah. And even for me, like in indie films, I tell the directors or the teams I work with, like, if you want to go past 10 hours, apologize to your crew already. Yeah. Like you should right. feel bad that we're already doing 10 hours and that's fine. You know, like yeah. I, it's unreal. I know it's unrealistic. It's crazy. And a lot of the old guard probably thinks I'm some <laughs> entitled little millennial. But for me, it's like, cool. You guys went through hell back in the day, but that doesn't mean that we have to keep going through hell. <laughs> Some people like I, I've talked to some people about this who have been in the union for a while and, and they say they need the money in order to, you know, sustain their lifestyle. It's because of the long hours that they actually have the money that sustain the lifestyle that they want. And I guess yeah. the you know, solution to that would just be people just need to be paid more. Mm -hmm. And that that's the fight against the producers like whether or not yeah. they're willing to pay more for less hours and obviously the answer is no so that's definitely the, no yeah yeah that's like the huge push and pull i will yeah. say though um you uh, uh, dgc uh, our union the directors guild um one of the fighting points that um that they've been fighting for and one of the reasons why there's a potential strike or a strike if this has happened already <laughs> um, but uh what the, the reason for it is because one of the the talking points is that um pas especially get abused with this system because they're the first in and last out and so um they're they wanted a rule that said uh, uh pas um have to have an eight hour turnaround so that what that means is like there needs to be eight hours of sleep that they can get um from the time that they uh wrap to when they start again and eight hours isn't even a lot but no um uh, but the union says you cannot pay to cancel this like this is a hard statement that needs to happen mm -hmm. and so producers just wouldn't budge on that so that's one of the many things that that we've been fighting for and yeah. hopefully that can eventually get passed but yeah i absolutely agree it's just like it's the amount of sleep that you need it's like we're making a movie it's, we're not even curing yeah. cancer and we're wanting people to like yeah work their life arm and leg for these things it's just not worth it for me um do you have any advice for uh up-and-coming filmmakers that are looking to produce their own work or even like looking to get into the art department what what would you say to help um uh, start their career I think if you're looking to produce your own stuff the or direct or whatever my advice is always work with the people that you have and um create a just create a great environment for everybody to work in you know uh, and also remember that your vision is will evolve and can even will always be better if you let your team work with you on it i've 
because I've had, I've worked with directors or up and coming or starting directors who think that their vision is all that matters. I'm like, well, you're limiting yourself in that way. Keeping yourself open to the people around you is your best way. When it comes to the art department, I think the best advice I could give people is like, don't try to be a production designer right away. <laughs> I think a lot of people don't realize that being a head of department isn't actually the most creative position. <laughs> I spend more time doing paperwork than I do actually creating things. Like the people making the props are not me <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I miss sometimes, you know? Right. Yeah. Look for those like, you know, lower positions because sometimes those are the most creative. Totally. And if you ever want to lead something, you better know what it feels like to be the other, the, the lower level or the, the PAs or the set dressers, because it always shows if a production designer has never been a set dresser. As a leader, you need to know what it feels like to be in any, every position that you're leading. Yeah, that's an excellent place to end off. Um, I am going to ask you a few questions. I ask everyone, uh, every one of the guests, um, what's the worst advice you were ever given? Someone told me once not to trust anybody. <laughs> <laughs> they were just telling me not to trust anybody that you really are on your own when you're in the film industry and all that. And I feel like it came from a place where they got their bridges burnt or that they got mm -hmm. screwed over too many times, you know? Yeah. And I think, to me, that's the worst advice I was given because what I've come to learn is that it's not about not trusting anybody, but being very confident or like learning about who who to trust and knowing what you stand for for your worth. Instead of so instead of like focusing on everybody else, it's about focusing on yourself and knowing what you're worth instead. Right. What's the best advice you were ever given? The best advice I was ever given, and I think I've said it a lot today too, is if ever you're going to lead, lead to serve uh, and support. Um, it's tough in film sometimes because you work in so many different crews and you don't know who you're working with. In relation to that, it's really just um, being flexible to the people around you, right? That's part of that because um, especially in the art department you're going to come up with so many ideas that you think is the best solution which are going to get rejected so fast you won't even see it coming and if you have the mindset of just helping and supporting the people around you then you know that every idea you have is um, actually it's probably the best advice i was ever given is that um in, is 90 percent of the props that you're ever going to make are never going to be seen <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Because I think a lot of like yeah. the beginning people in the art department need to learn that that like the, your baby, quote unquote, your baby, or your vision of what you have in mind is going to get changed. It's going to get ripped apart. The director will say no almost to whatever. So it's like yeah. everything you pitch, prepare for it to be the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I uh, the next question might have just been answered, but um, if you could tell your younger self about something about the film industry what it what would it be i think just keep doing what you were doing I, yeah i came into the industry just by chance in some ways mm. it's a long path to get here you know and yeah. i don't think i ever regret any of it um, right 
through the highs and the lows, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate that journey that you're on. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, and finally, in your opinion, what does a more diverse film industry look like? A more diverse film industry is an industry where we're able to, where the people in power are actually paying attention to the voices of the people who aren't. Or whether the people who don't have voices are people of color, whether it's people who are disabled, whether it's just people who aren't in positions of power. Um, to me, a more diverse industry is a place where we don't put directors in pedestals or producers in pedestals or celebrities in pedestals. It's a world where we see everybody as all contributors respectfully to a, yeah. what is Damn. not curing cancer, but just simply a TV show or yeah. a movie. <laughs> but you don't have to cure cancer to change the world. No. And that would be a way to change the world. <laughs> yeah. Treating people like people. Yeah. You don't have to cure cancer to be a good person either. Yeah, it's true. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, thanks so much. Uh, where where can we find you on socials and your podcast and all of that? <laughs> um, you could find me on Instagram, just mcn. So just M-I-K-J-U-S-T-M-I-K-N. Um, or you could find us. We I do a food podcast with my friend called the smorgasbord podcast where we talk about <laughs> um, we talk about weird uses and strange uses of food so not the food we eat but like you know how food is used in different ways <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's very silly so fitting for a props person though <laughs> <laughs> right um, but you could also find us um, I guess in Spotify because we're I think we're on Spotify for that podcast super silly awesome thanks a lot for listening guys I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mick if you want to listen to more conversations about the union and state of diversity in our industry check out my conversation with Miel and Ahe where we talk about the importance of providing actors with the right makeup and hair artists as always please go follow us on Instagram our producer, Nightingale, consistently promotes upcoming events and opportunities for BIPOC crew members in the BC film industry. So check that out to stay up to date. If you missed anything on Instagram, we have an episodic newsletter where you can find all that information as well as additional information on our guests. If you want to support our podcast, go leave a review on iTunes or Spotify. That really helps us. But most importantly, share this with your friends who you think could really benefit from this episode. Maybe it could inspire your friend to make a serious change in our film industry. Or just give them a leg in the art department. Hope you guys have a fantastic week, and I'll see you on set. Thanks for listening to BIPOC Credits by Andy Wong. This episode was produced by Nightingale. Our editor is Rihanna Toy. Graphics by Joshua Lamb. Theme music by Peter Robinson and Patrick Fiore. Intro and outro voiceover by Mike Lee. Thank you to our community partner, culturebrew.art, for supporting us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at BIPOC Credits. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, subscribe to our newsletter to get all the juicy information we didn't quite get to in this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to BIPOC Credits.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.